Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Agenda, the gen-based podcast. I'm Jen Golbeck. And I'm Jen Coleslaw. This week's agenda is uh, Boston-themed. Yes, Boston-based stories. Yeah, um, we each have some. Jen Coleslaw probably has more since you grew up closer proximity to Boston than me, though I've spent I, a lot I, of time. I have a lot, but I'm I'm never sure that my stories are as good as your bad boyfriend <laughs> stories. <laughs> this... I will tell this this bad boyfriend story, but I got to say, he's not the worst boyfriend I've had by far, among one of the better. Have uh, you thought about doing a podcast just on your bad boyfriends? I could do like a different boyfriend every week. Yeah. Oh, no. Some boyfriends need a whole season. The one who tried to run me down with the car, like he needs a solid six episodes. Like that's a whole crossover with true crime. Yeah, really. There's so much. This is a good idea. If I if I ever decide I need another podcast, my bad boyfriends. That's a good name for a podcast. Right. I think. All right. When we get off the the pod today, you should definitely go scoop up all those social names. <laughs> my bad boyfriends, at like Instagram at my bad boyfriends. Oh, but I can't post pictures of them. I'll get sued. Well, we could still. We could get in. We could. We could have representations of them using American girl dolls. <laughs> okay. Maybe that can be like uh, a like a side season of the agenda. Okay. When we run out of things to say. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> never going to happen. <laughs> uh, okay. So I'm looking at the agenda document in front of us, but I don't think we've got our taste test on here do we no i think we forgot to add it so we just need to add libet but these are i have the bag so i will read the bag okay these come from our friend amy in canada who has uh, who sent us those um those chocolate covered cherries yeah um that were uh, the blossoms that's right they had yeah. the peanuts in them yep. yeah um these are called hawkins um cheesies mm-hmm uh, big boy cheesies. And one of the things I like is that it came in a bag. I'm showing it to Jen. It came in a bag oh. with three packages in it, which means that they don't all get stale. Because you That's can so eat. Smart. So Jen got a package. I got a package. And I assume Amy kept a package. Um, they're called corn snacks because mm -hmm. I'm sure they have some sort of truth in advertising in Canada. <laughs> and they can't call them like healthy treats like we do in the United States. And they're made with real cheddar cheese and no preservatives they look exactly like a slightly larger crunchy cheeto yes they do yeah. and i and i was wondering before we got online today whether or not real cheetos are made with cheddar cheese and they are i i have a bag of crunchy cheetos here in case we want to do any comparison but yeah all right That's so i have opened okay. my bag and you yeah, guys get to listen to us crunch <laughs> All right, are you ready? Yep. All right, one, go. two, three. Oh, oh. they're very crunchy. Mm-hmm. They're much harder. Yeah, I, that's I an bit, effort. I bit the inside of my mouth. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, so injuries, number one. They taste really good, though. They taste like actual cheese. I wonder if they're made with not powdered cheddar cheese, if it's like... If the cheddar cheese is kind of melted down into something that gets poured over them as opposed to the powder. Okay. It doesn't so here's, taste powdery. Here's the um, ingredients. Cornmeal, vegetable oil, processed aged cheddar cheese seasoning, lactic mm. acid, 
disodium phosphate, salt, and certified color. With a U. Well, color really with a U. Of course. Um, so what, are the, what does your Cheetos say? Cheetos says enriched cornmeal, and then it's Ooh. got all the enrichments, vegetable oil, uh, cheese seasoning, which has whey, cheddar cheese, canola oil, maltodextrin, natural and artificial flavors, salt, whey protein from concentrate, monosodium glutamate, lactic acid, citric acid, artificial color, and salt. I mean, based on the ingredient list, the Canadian ones totally win. Yeah, because no, no preservatives. Yeah. They're really good. They, they, like I said, I describe them as looking slightly larger than a Cheeto, but when you get them in your mouth, they're way bigger than a Cheeto. Right, because they don't instantly start to dissolve. Mm-hmm. Like you I think a work. Cheeto starts to, as soon as it hits the wetness in your mouth, it starts to dissolve. So mm-hmm. these are harder. Yep. Um, but they taste so much better. They do. I had, yeah, I was anticipating them tasting weird. They taste different than a Cheeto, but I agree. It's just a full on better. It's kind of like a richer cheesiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's tasty. Yeah, I like them. All right. I mean, I'd eat that whole bag right now. It's good we're podcasting it. So I don't. Yeah, I think it would make a lot of noise, though. Yeah. And those people that don't like mouth noises, like Ben, would be like, (laughs) a bunch of big, loud crunching sounds for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Like both of us. It'd be like in stereo. (laughs) That's right. One story and one just like crunch, crunch, crunch in the background. (laughs) Be like watching the dogs eat. Well, thank you, Amy, for the. for those cheesy poofs they're delicious yeah they really are yeah i might i might not share them with ben no those were for you they were addressed to you they were addressed to me i wonder if we could like put them on things oh you know they'd be good on a baked potato oh yeah like smush them up a little bit yeah get some crunch on there that's yeah, a like idea. um like croutons this is very like midwest casserole kind of thing um where I mean, there's several schools of thought, but one includes cornflakes on mm. top of the casserole. So using, but crunched up Fritos, sometimes actual whole Fritos. So these could be a real interesting casserole topping substitute for those more traditional options. You know, speaking of cornflakes, one of my very favorite chocolates is um, the um, Ritter Sport bars that are the milk chocolate with cornflakes in them. I have never had those. I've had the Ritter Sport bars, but not with the cornflakes. Oh, all right. I'm putting it. I'm going to put it on my list. Headblown. <laughs> yep. All right. Cornflake Ritter Sport. Are they actually called like cornflake in there? Well, it, but it's German. So whatever it's yeah. called in German. But that's Ritter what Sport, they are. Milk chocolate with cornflakes. I'm going to buy some on Amazon. Yeah. There I can get and I one. actually prefer the, um, the Ritter Sports that come in a sleeve and they're small. Mm-hmm. Like the size of those little Ghirardelli bars. Yeah, um, I find the big ones. I can't eat a whole one, and then I forget about it, and it gets ants. Um, <laughs> not that that, as it goes, we determined that that won't stop me, but um, but I like the <laughs> smaller ones. So I so I go to yeah. like World Market, which is also called Cost Plus places, mm-hmm. and I get the sleeve of them, and then I give the flavors I don't like to Ben, and then I nice. keep the flavors I do like for me. It's and generous so, and selfish all at the same time. Exactly. So he gets like dark chocolate. He gets the one with the hazelnuts in it because I don't like hazelnuts. Yeah. And um, and then I get the um, I get the the one with the cornflakes. That's my favorite. Nice. All right, I'm gonna order it and try it. Okay. All right. Good. I think you'll like it. 
Awesome. Okay. Um, okay. On the Boston agenda, we start off with Boston stories. We each have one here, and yours is the Filene's basement wedding dress slash okay, a so bunch of other stuff. I wonder how many of our listeners remember the Filene's basement in Boston would have these wedding dress sales. Oh, interesting. And they were, I think they were quarterly, maybe. They may have been half yearly. They may have been quarterly. Um, but the original Filene's basement was like literally under one of the train stops, which I think was government center because that's the one I actually got out at mm. when I would go to my office in Boston when I worked at Conservation Law Foundation. And it so it was in the basement of Filene's, but it was also sort of under the train station. <laughs> um and it was periodically flooded. It was incredibly <laughs> gritty. It was the original Filene's basement, and you could just get some incredible bargains there. So whenever I went to the office in Boston, my office was in Rhode Island, but I often had to go up to Boston. I would either take the bus or I would take the train, and I would um, shop at Filene's basement. And I just happened to be up there one day, and I was married to my first husband, um, during one, during, at the tail end of one of these wedding dress, um, sales. Now the thing was that people would line up for like a day outside, yeah, like in, in lawn chairs and blankets and they bring coffee and you'd basically dress in a leotard and <laughs> you'd like people would like stampede into the store people would get hurt getting into the store because it was all like wedding gowns from really really expensive wedding dress salons and <clears throat> manufacturers and they were a lot of sample sales but then they were just a lot of overstock and you'd like just be stripping your clothes off as you were running it was like a cartoon right so that you were just, all you had on was your leotard and you would just be trying stuff on. You'd be grabbing every dress you could off the rack and then you would trade with people because you wouldn't have the size you want. Yeah. And you would trade with people. And it was, it was crazy. Like, like I never wanted to participate in something it like that. Like I loved madness. watching it. Yeah. It was madness. I loved watching it. But I happened to go... Like it usually was like over a weekend and then mm -hmm. I would, I went on a Monday. So there were still all of these dresses, but everyone had gone back to work and I totally got like sucked into the idea of buying a wedding dress for $99. Yeah. And so I did. <laughs> and it was a Givenchy like silk, peach silk wedding gown it was gig it was my size it was gigantic it was like <laughs> like i'm it was like the size of my bed like it was a queen size bed of a dress right it was like all cool and it, it had satin and it was just absolutely gorgeous and then i realized that like i had to bring it to the office <laughs> right it's, it's not like a freaking cashmere sweater right which is what i usually would buy there i would always buy my cashmere sweaters there for like 35 dollars because that's what you would get yeah. i had to bring this <laughs> this this bounce house of a dress like <laughs> to 
the law office where I worked. Now, granted, it was environmental law, so people were pretty chill, but I'm like dragging this. It weighed <laughs> probably 10 pounds easily, right? It was just so much fabric. And then I had to get it. I took the bus that time. I had to get it on the bus, basically to buy a seat for the dress. <laughs> and uh, not long after that, I got divorced. So, hey. um, but I took the dress with me. And when Ben and I got married, I took the dress all apart and considered wearing it when I got remarried because I sort of felt like it was kind of a hard one yeah. thing, right? Like, and it was $99 and I was a pretty good sewer. I'm like a pretty good, I, well, I'm not so good now because I've lost sort of my touch, but we had, we opted for like an outdoor wedding and it was, it was really not a gigantic floofy dress wedding, but I still have it. It's in a dress bag. Awesome. Someday I'll do something with it. Someday I will get invited to some ball. You know, when we do the <laughs> Golden Foundation fur ball um, yeah. and we have a big fancy party, um, I will wear it. Um, but that's that's one of my Boston stories. Um, and I, I have a one other little Boston story, and that is that um, I had been part of a, a big sports message board like one of the biggest sports message boards called sons of sam horn it was a red Sox message board and um lots of famous writers were on it mm. uh, i won't name them because i don't have permission to sort of out them for being part of this message board and there were not a ton of women on this message board and it sort of came to me at a time when i was really struggling with my health and um i made a ton of friends on it and I would go up to Fenway to see baseball games with this group. There was a bunch of people in Providence, a bunch of people in Boston, but there are people from all over the world. And um, and I ended up having to to leave that group because of um, the politics in the world. Oh no! Like I had to draw a line in the sand about like what I was going to align myself with and like many sports people there were a lot of really conservative men mm -hmm. um and i felt like i was having to do a lot of emotional labor for the very few women to try to like drag to try to drag people up to like a level of understanding like what it's like to be a woman and like like it was just, it was too much. And I ended up yeah. having to really wrestle with leaving that community. And uh, I ultimately did. And um, and I sometimes miss it. But I kept a lot of the friends there. But um, I will never not think of Boston both fondly and kind of um, sadly. Yeah. Um, ben is still a part of that community, which sometimes bums me out that he continues to participate knowing how bad some of the folks are over there, but mm -hmm. I can't make decisions for other people. So, um, but I did make a ton of friends there. So that is a good thing. I mean, it's like, it sucks because like part of the really bad attitude of guys like that is that they're perfectly happy for women to just leave if they don't like it, which isn't a great solution. On the other hand, like, like you can't just stick around for for that and and be happy but it's good you get to bring some of the friends with and it wasn't just like they all disappeared from your life because you left the board 
No, no. And I, and I really, and I could probably go back if I wanted, but mm -hmm. uh, I found that it, I was spending so much time being angry at them and arguing and you know, there's a ton, there's like a lot of lawyers and a lot of like really smart people on that board, but just not willing to, um, just, it was just not a lot of respect for women on sports message boards. I think the like, point, not that that should come yeah. as any surprise to anybody, I think. <laughs> no, for sure. And I, th I think a point that like I, I spend a lot of like my professional life making, but also, you know, that like I remind Ingo of a lot of the time is like, you're a good one. And so your job is in those spaces to call out the bad ones because they're not really going to listen to me if I do it. But if you're in a space that's like mostly all dudes and somebody says something crappy, like your job is 100% to call them out and be like, that's kind of not cool, man. Because that's the only way that kind of gets it fixed. Yeah, agreed. You know? It's hard though. Yeah, it is. And, and, and I, I, in a lot of ways, I feel like they're lesser for me leaving. For sure. A hundred percent. Yes. So, but anyway, so that's. I hope some of them are sad about it. I, you know, I, th I, I actually started a Slack group and took some of them, invited some with me and a lot of them ended up leaving the board as well. Oh, Because that was not what they wanted to be a part of. Either. Yeah. Good job. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. So I want to, okay, now it's time for bad boyfriend lobster dinner story. Yeah. Me, I'll, so those are actually two stories. Same trip. It was actually the first time I went to Boston. So I did uh, Mala UN all through college. And my first year of college, there was a Model UN tournament at Harvard. It may have been the first Model UN tournament of the year. So a little bit of culture shock for me like my first thing in college, right? Where it's just like a bunch of college kids like out of town for a long weekend, um, which was much different than my high school life, which was pretty tame. I mean, University of Chicago students are pretty tame for college kids also. But anyway, we went to Boston. It was my first time. I'd actually never seen the Atlantic Ocean, I don't think. Like maybe we took one trip to Disney World when I was like 11 and I think we may have looked at the ocean one day like went out to Kennedy Space Center but like I don't really remember it and so like they took me out to Boston Harbor and they're like there it is and I was like it's kind of dark right now but okay like I'll check it off the list and we went to some place lobster place for dinner like the whole model UN team and I bought I had a lobster for dinner but I've got a bug phobia like it's gotten a little better where I'm functional now, but like a real serious insect phobia. And so they brought me this whole lobster, which looks exactly like a giant bug. And like, of course I knew, know what lobsters look like. I have seen them in tanks before, uh, but I just couldn't deal with it. And like my friend, I was like, could you please make this into something that I could eat? And he had to like take the whole lobster apart for me and just like give me the tail. And then I could kind of deal with the tail, but like the, the top part was like, it was too much. And I was like, you can have all, yeah, the, oh, the antennas and the little eyes. I'm like, all of that's yours. Like, I don't want anything to do. It's fine. I don't need it. It's fine. Um, that's the only time I've ever had a whole lobster in my life. Now I'm a vegetarian, so I don't eat them anyway. Actually, when, so I had a B12 deficiency, um, it, it arrived 
as my whooping cough was departing in 2012, I had whooping cough for like three months. And just as I was finally getting better, all of a sudden my entire body started to fall apart and they thought I had MS and it turned out to be a B12 deficiency. You had that too? Yes. Oh, it, it was terrifying. It was. They totally uh, thought I had MS and it was because I was a vegetarian. And a yeah. terrible vegetarian, by the way. <laughs> so. Yep. And, and that's the reaction that I had. I mean, once we figured out what it was, I, I think I've told you this story, maybe not on the podcast that I, uh, I had, so I woke up one, it was literally woke up one day and my arms were tingling kind of like they were halfway asleep. And then I was like, that's weird. Like, what could I have done to make that happen? And then it was like my legs also the next day and um went into the doctor and I was like so this is weird did I pinch a nerve and they're like nope that doesn't happen like that like sure sounds like MS and I was like also like I can't stay awake past two in the afternoon and I'm getting these weird electric shocks in my face and my legs are really heavy and all of this stuff and they're like yeah maybe MS and like yeah I guess we'll see what happens and I was like absolutely not like get me a brain MRI uh which we had kind of talked about anyway because of my migraines which I'm sure were also connected I mean it, they exist independently but were worse because of this and um so for like a week while I waited for to get an MRI I was planning my death I was like okay so now I have MS um, I guess I can get a service dog before I die and then I'm going to die. And I was just totally non-functional. And remember, I'm coming off of three months of having whooping cough where I've broken two ribs. I haven't really slept for three months. I've been the sickest I've ever been in my life for a long time. And uh, I went in for this MRI and they do like without contrast and then they inject you with this stuff that brightens it up and then they do another round. And so... I was, you know, going in there and I was kind of weeping, <laughs> like very nice to everybody, but just like, yeah, they think I have MS weeping. And they put me in the thing and they do the first round. And then uh, the, the first round takes longer than the round with the contrast. And so then the tech came in to inject me. So I'm like laying on the thing outside the machine and he comes to inject me with this stuff. And he's like, you know, I am uh, absolutely not allowed to tell you anything I'm not a radiologist, but I've done a lot of MRIs of people with MS and it doesn't look anything like what I'm seeing on your thing coming up. And then I wept silently in relief that I was not going to die, <laughs> trying very hard not to move because you can't move while they're doing it. So just tears streaming down my face with relief from that guy. He's still absolutely like favorite person who's ever taken care Aww. of me because he, he could have, if I had said anything to anyone, he would have been fired. Mm -hmm. for that he's I mean that is a big big rule that you can't do that and uh it was just such a lovely gift from him to be like I can't tell you for sure but sure doesn't look like MS like you're probably going to be fine it was really well nice I had gone in because my hands were tingling too and I thought I had carpal tunnel oh really and so um so he's like well I mean maybe but why don't we just do uh, some blood work I was mm. like all right and uh, and he was just like, uh, did the blood work? And he called me the next day and he goes, I need you to come right down. And I'm oh, like, no. why? What's going on? He goes, you have like no B12 in your system at all. I don't know how you're even functioning. I need <laughs> to show you how to inject yourself. Yeah. And so for about a year, I had to do 
B12 injections every single day until I had brought it back up to a level. But boy, I felt so much better. And now whenever people are telling, oh, I feel terrible. I've got this, I've got that. I'm like, have you had your B12 levels checked lately? And it's shocking how many people don't have that as part of their like overall like wellness exam at their, I almost said vet, at their doctor's (laughs) office, you know, that they check the vitamin D and vitamin B12, which are two things that I always get checked because they're notoriously low. So especially with women, um, I don't know why it's not standard because so many things can be attributed to all of those feelings and you can get over-medicated, you can be worried you have MS, you could be worried you have some sort of other neurological nerve disease, and it's just a just a b12 deficiency that's really easily fixed it's so easy to fix and they like when i was doing the research about this like there's some people who study b12 deficiencies who actually think a lot of like elderly people like with dementia and like serious nervous system problems that actually a lot of it could be explained by their b12 being low because if i had kept going on that path i mean i was pretty seriously disabled for a few months with the nerve problems. I mean, I really like, I couldn't stay awake the whole day and um, the nerve stuff got really serious where, you know, it's still, I have permanent damage from it. It, you know, it doesn't keep me from doing stuff obviously. And sometimes it's worse and sometimes it's better, but it took a year and a half for it really to go away where it would feel like I had walked through a spider web because the nerves were actually inflamed and you could feel them. When I would get out of bed in the morning, it felt like right in the middle of the ball of my foot, there was some nerve problem. The, the B12 deficiency will make the sheaths around your nerves dissolve and go That's away. That's right, the myelin. <laughs> yeah. I can't uh, believe we had that same thing. I know. Like, You're the- yeah, another thing we have in common. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and so it would feel when I'd step out of bed, it would feel like I was stepping on one of those like joke buzzers that you would like shake somebody's hand and buzz them with. Or like if I stood on a cicada, it would feel like that just stepping out of bed. And then as as I walked like to the bathroom, each step, it would get a little bit less. But it it takes forever to get better. But all you have to do is take B12. And it's just not a normal thing. So I had to do the shots. And uh, now I do like the sublingual things, the little cherry flavored things every day. And I have to take them every day and I'm fine. Yeah. But when that, that happened, same. oh, go ahead. Same, same. Although I don't feel the buzzing so much anymore, but sometimes I feel like I have a piece of tape stuck to the bottom of my foot. Mm-hmm. And I'm like constantly, I'm like a cat that you stick a piece of tape to their tail and they're like looking around. Yeah. Like, trying to, <laughs> like I always feel like there's something stuck to the bottom of my foot and there isn't. And that's like an artifact from that nerve damage. Yeah, nerves just take such a long time to get better. So when I was when I found that out, like okay, this is a B12 deficiency. Um, I was like, if this is what I get for being a vegetarian, which I had been for you know 13 years at that point, 12 years, um, great. We will not be a vegetarian anymore. Like I don't want to not be a vegetarian anymore, but I more don't want this. And I was like, so let's find some stuff to eat. What do I miss? Like, what are the foods? It's like, oh, that was really good. I don't eat that anymore. So for (laughs) me, it was really good cheeseburger and lobster tail were those things where it's like, man, like that would be really good. And um, 
Ingo one day made these really lovely looking cheeseburgers and I could not eat it. Like the taste of meat after not eating meat for over a decade, which I was like, I it tastes so like, like when people describe stuff as gamey, right? Mm-hmm. And I grew up eating venison. So I know what that means. That's what it tasted like. But it was like, he went to Whole Foods. He got like the super fancy, like whatever. I couldn't do it. And then I was like, all right, lobster, like that, you know, great. I don't mind that it's not beef. Like eating lobsters feels like less sad to me than eating a cow. And so let's do this. And I got these fancy lobster tails and cooked them and I made the butter for them. And I, I managed like two bites and I was like, I can't, it, it wasn't like an ethical thing. Just like my body was like, what are you doing? Like, what are you putting in here? I couldn't do it anymore. So I just did the shots and I'm fine and I'm still a vegetarian. Um, but yeah, it like, I remember loving lobster and that, that lobster from Boston was delish but now I can't eat it anymore. It's a thing that is just not not allowed in my life at this point, apparently. Um, well, they, they really are sort of bugs of the ocean. God, they are. And I mean, now we have them all over here. We have uh, spiny lobsters down here, so they don't have claws. They just have an extra set of like big, long antennas that like swoop over their backs. Um, but I see them all the time. I like pet their little antennas. They stick them out. Like when I'm out swimming, there's zillions of them around. They don't bother me quite as much. I don't know. Anyway, that's the lobster story. So so that was Molly Yuen trip. We went out for lobsters. And then I don't know if it was the same night or like the second night of the trip, but a bunch of people on the trip. See, this this must be a different trip to Boston because that lobster was definitely my first year. But the boyfriend I was dating my third year. So or second. Well, all right. It doesn't matter. The boy, the boyfriend. Not absolutely not the worst boyfriend I have had among the better boyfriends that I've had, which will say something when I tell the story. Um, <laughs> we he was also on the Molly UN team, and he and a bunch of other dudes that he was friends with on the team went out one night, and I stayed. And I think we could room, we had to sleep four people to a room, but we could do it however we wanted. So I think he and I and two other people were in a room. And he stumbles back in like drunk out of his mind at like two in the morning and is in the bathroom. I'm like holding his head over the toilet while he's throwing up. And he's tearfully confessing to me that he like made out with some girl from Stanford at the bar and how sorry he is. And I was like, you did what? And uh, and the other girl, one of the girls who was sharing the room, who was dating one of his friends, she's like, you can't talk to him about this now. And I was like, I'm really mad right now. She's like, he won't remember it now. Like you can't, this is not the time to do it. Like you got to wait till he's sober and then talk to him about it. And uh, it is just a thing that like sticks in my head whenever I'm mad at drunk people is like, you can't, you can't talk to him about being mad now. You just got to wait or you can, but it doesn't do anything. And they're certainly not useful conversational partners at that point. So it's not a really good bad boyfriend story. It's not that dramatic, but. The thing about arguing with people who are drunk, though, is that you remember everything and you can remember things that didn't happen. That's true. So you can say, (laughs) you told me that you did X, Y, and Z, and I don't care that you don't remember it. Yeah. So just a little tip, just a little tip for our friends out there. Um, I was going to say, I don't know if I'm going to do this, but I do like the creativity of the idea. You you can make stuff up (laughs) when you are arguing with people who will not remember it. 
And you can say, look, I'm not the one who was drunk. I remember. That's true. And I mean, I'm always that person. It's I, I really don't like hanging out with drunk people um, or intoxicated people of any type. I Because like I'm never that. I mean, I've only accidentally gotten drunk a couple times in my life. I don't like, you know, a couple of drinks is fine. But I don't want to be falling down or feeling gross. And then I'm with a bunch of drunk people who are all being stupid and they all think they're hilarious. And I'm yeah. like, but you're not. But nobody cares that I think that. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm not a big fan. And, and as you know, I'm not a big drinker anyway. So um, I can sometimes get a little abrasive if yeah. I've had a couple <laughs> drinks. And so and I don't like that person. Yeah. Um, because that person's not funny or clever. Like I recognize that mm. abrasive is never funny or clever. And so I just don't. Plus, I don't like how I feel the next day. Like, yeah. like I already hate migraines. So why would I like belly up to the bar for one? Mm-hmm. So um, I just I just don't. Um, but I, I don't like the person that I am. Um, yeah. and, and I think probably growing up in that kind of household, you recognize how people's personalities change when they've been drinking and Mm -hmm. so I recognize that mine did when I would you know and I was never really like drunk drunk but even just buzzed I can be kind of abrasive yeah that's interesting I don't know because the one time that I've been like absolutely drunk and not just like a little sleepy from having two drinks um was on accident. Like I had had a very strong drink and a glass of champagne at a Valentine's Day dinner at this place that we went before the salad. And maybe the third drink came after the salad, which was like three pieces of lettuce. And I was like, I think I need to go to the bathroom. And I spent the entire dinner laying on the floor of the bathroom of this place, just like throwing up and being unable to sit up. I mean, I've never had that happen to me before, but I must not have eaten much during the day and then just had like this profound amount of alcohol for me that I didn't really notice because it's like, oh, it's celebratory. Here's four leaves of lettuce, whatever. And uh, so I was so sick that I didn't get a chance to be like drunk person walking around having a conversation. I was just like, I'm sorry. I know you need to get in this bathroom, but I literally cannot even sit at this point. I'm just laying on the floor of a bathroom at a bar. You should have called me. I would have come to get you. Ingo was there. He'd check in on me in occasion. Everybody knew what was going on. It was like one of these eight person bars, right? Like speakeasy type place. And so like uh, in between courses, they'd be like, okay, whose turn is it to check on Jen yeah, in the bathroom? Yeah, they would. Are you okay in there? And he'd come in and I was like, go eat your dinner. Like you don't <laughs> need to not eat dinner because I'm in here. I can't get up right now. We just got to wait it out. And eventually, actually, he eventually like, I was like, okay, I think I can sit up now. I was like not in good shape. And he like bundled me up in my coat because it's February. And we went out onto the street to get a cab to go home because obviously we weren't driving home. And one cab pulled up and uh, we walked over to get in and he saw what state I was in and drove away. <laughs> the only time that's ever happened to me before. Uh, so I don't know what I'm like if when I'm drunk, what my personality is like. But I know I feel crappy the next day, even if I have like a little more than, you know, normally I don't drink. I, I always drive us home, right? So I'm always very careful that I don't drink enough that there would be any issue with me driving home. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if I have like a little more than that at home, then, you know, I don't want that headache. Anyway. All anyway. right. So there you go. Uh, I have three Boston weird news of wildlife stories. I don't know that we want to do all of them, but I'll give you a preview. One is about a gator. One is about a runaway emu. And one is about a huge shark. You can pick any or all. 
Well, I like the huge shark one because it's got a Rhode Island connection. Yeah. Okay. So let's do that one. You can buy a huge shark statue from a former Rhode Island nightclub. The 25-foot shark from the Mardi Gras Multi-Club is up for sale on Facebook Marketplace. Now, do you know what Mardi Gras Multi-Club is? No, but I'm looking at the date and it was from 2018 and I had already left Rhode Island then. Yeah, I don't know. Like some of these weird stories we put in, like some of them are new and some of them are old. So buyers searching for a 25-foot shark to complete their home collection are in luck, which like, honestly, that could be me. The shark statue that used to sit on top of the Mardi Gras Club in Cranston, Rhode Island. Oh, so that's okay. Do you know where that is? No, but I know Cranston, and so it doesn't surprise me. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, it was only $1,000 for 25-foot shark. I legit might have dropped $1,000 for that. How would you have gotten it home, though? Separate problem. <laughs> problem one is acquire the shark. That would have been an Ingo problem. <laughs> That's right. He would have. He would have. He's like, I'll go pick it up. I'll just drop it on top of the car. Uh, they did get multiple offers for the shark. They closed on November 30th, 2018, after being open for 28 years. Isn't that funny? I've never heard of it. It must not have been very good. I mean, how yeah. far was Cranston from uh, Providence? Well, like, like I guess three nothing's minutes. Far. Like nothing yeah. is very far from <laughs> Providence. And I mean, it shares a border with Providence. So it's... it's. Oh, it's right there. Yeah, it's right there. Like yeah. everything's really close. But nobody goes nightclubbing in Cranston. <laughs> Let me just tell you that. All right. Well, there you go. There's there's the huge shark story. Okay. So my story is about the great molasses flood of 1819. Amazing. Do a little history lesson. It's such a good story. And um, I got I I, 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 of course when you grow up in New England, you actually learn about the great molasses flood. and one of the things that as New Englanders, we often like to point to as evidence of Boston being kind of a special place is, in fact, the great molasses flood of 1819, plus also fluffernutters, which we can talk about on another another yeah, day. Fair. Um, and while it's often a bit of a punchline, um, it's it was a tragedy. It was a terrible tragedy. And sub- substantial changes were made in um, building codes going forward as a result, which is always a good thing. But... As usual, I will never understand why people have to die first in order to do uh, building codes, uh, but I don't make the rules. Seriously. Um, And it's it's really hard for me to believe um, when you first hear about the story, because if you've ever worked with molasses, that it could actually, quote unquote, flood anything. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now I'm going to read to you from the Britannica um, Encyclopedia. The tank was built in 1915 along Boston's waterfront on Commercial Street opposite Copps Hill. It was operated by the Purity Distilling Company, a subsidiary of United States Industrial Alcohol, USIA. At the time, industrial alcohol, then made from fermented molasses, was highly profitable because it was used to make munitions and other weaponry for World War I. The tank's immense size reflected the demand. It measured more than 50 feet high and 90 feet in diameter and could hold up to 2.5 million gallons of molasses. We have a water tank that size in Silver Spring that's like on top of a hill and it's just... 
It's not like a water tower because it starts at ground level and it just goes way up. It dominates the skyline. They actually have it painted sky blue so you don't notice it as much because it blends in. It's That's massive. That's it's so huge. big. Yeah. And for 1815. Made so out of wood. So built quickly, the tank was problematic from the start, mm -hmm. leaking and often emitting rumbling sounds. No, no. <laughs> Nevertheless, it continued to be used, and after the war's conclusion, USIA focused on producing grain alcohol, which was in high demand as prohibition neared passage. Mm. Okay, so here's my little editorial note. So mm -hmm. war and then liquor, and you can see where Boston gets its reputation from, at least in part. And if there was something about racism in here, then we would have hit the trifecta. <laughs> okay, back to the encyclopedia. At approximately 12.30 p.m. on January 15, 1919, the tank burst, releasing a deluge of, quote, sticky sweet death. Yeah. <laughs> According to reports, the resulting wave of molasses was 15 to 40 feet high oh and some God. 160 feet wide. Wow. Traveling at approximately 35 miles an hour, it destroyed several city blocks, leveling buildings and damaging automobiles. In the end, 21 people were killed, many of whom were suffocated by the syrup, and approximately 150 were injured. In addition, the Boston Post noted that a number of horses had died like so many flies on sticky fly paper. Aww. I know. Cleanup efforts lasted for weeks, and Boston reportedly continued to smell like molasses for years afterwards. Numerous lawsuits were filed in the wake of the disaster. While victims alleged that the tank was not safe, USIA claimed that it had been sabotaged by, quote, evilly disposed persons <laughs> antifa oh, there it is we have Bingo, the 20s version of antifa <laughs> i literally wrote that down oh uh, we think the same <laughs> all gens think alike in 1925 however it was ruled that the tank was unsound and usia was ordered to pay damages in addition the disaster was uh, resulted in stricter construction codes being adopted by states across the country Okay, now here's where some science comes in, and this is the pop quiz. Do you think the tragedy would have been more or less awful, depending on the time of the year? That is, did the cold slow down the molasses, or would heat have speeded it up? I My intuition would be um, warm, weather, warm weather would have been better because it would have flowed away faster. Like you'd have an easier chance to get up out of it. That's my intuition. You are correct. Four Good. years, questions were raised over how such a seemingly benign substance could have caused so many deaths. In 2016, researchers released a study that placed the blame on cold temperatures. Mm. While warm weather would have caused the molasses to be less viscous, the winter temperatures made the syrup markedly thicker, severely impeding rescuers yeah because like i i mean a, a wall of anything 40 feet or even 15 feet tall coming at you, you of water is terrifying and you're gonna go under it but yeah. you're not necessarily gonna die because you can swim back up and breathe again like you might break something like it's not gonna be fun but you're not necessarily gonna die but if it's molasses if it's cool molasses even like in your 
cabinet temperature molasses, going under that and then trying to get back out is going to be really way more hard than if it's warm and kind of flows away faster. Right. And then the cold weather made the molasses harden quickly. So you got stuck in it fast. You got... Yeah. I mean, you think 35 foot wave. Now, my house is two stories, Mm -hmm. but small stories, right? Because it's a cape. And so that's what, 20 feet tall? Yeah. So that would be like putting another half of a house on top of my house. Yeah. And that would be how tall a wave of molasses would be. And it's like a block-ish wide. Right. And and 35 miles an hour. I can't Crazy. run that fast. No. Nobody can run that fast. It's terrifying. The Not whole even thing horses, is... clearly. Nope. So that is one of those, those stories like the, um, which I don't think it was in Boston, but the the circus fire yeah you know that is a cautionary tale that changed a lot of the way things are done yep um and i guess this changed a lot of and like the shirtwaist fire in mm-hmm. i think it was in new york or maybe it was in yeah California. the triangle shirtwaist factory yeah, yeah that that really changed the way things were done but it's unfortunate that we have to that 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 has to happen and we have to lose people in order for corporations to do the right thing this is literally like how the law is structured here in florida about residential building codes like how good your house is depends after which hurricane it was built because after every big hurricane they update the building codes because it's like oh here this is the stuff that got knocked down this time like all right now if you build a new thing it has to be this and this and this and this and um, that's why my house is like a bunker and we don't get any cell service inside because the whole thing is made out of concrete blocks and uh, nothing happens to it, even in a Category 5 hurricane like Wait, Irma. Knock, knock wood, please. Okay, thank you. Yes, yes. Survived Irma just fine. The eye of high Hurricane Irma passed over our house as a Category 5 and we lost the screens and that was it because it's it was built after... Maybe Andrew. I oh, think Andrew was was ninety one ish. Is that right? I mean, I was young enough then that I didn't really track at all. But whatever that, I think that's right. Like Hurricane Andrew, Andrew was the early nineties, and this house was built in ninety five. So they updated a ton of the building codes required then because of how much it it like destroyed so much stuff. So that's our our plan. Is like, all right, well, let's see how much gets destroyed and how many people get hurt, and then we'll come up with better rules. Where it's like, I think we actually know already. Right. And we just keep trying to, maybe we could do a little bit less than that. And then more stuff gets wrecked. And they're like, okay, a little bit more, a little bit more. Yeah. Like the least common, like the, the, the lowest common denominator is a terrible place to live. Yeah. As right. far as like building codes and health, health stuff and food safety. Like, yeah. why don't we just strive for something better? Yeah. And, um, and, and and hope that more people are saved rather than like assuming that we that there that there's a certain number that we can lose before we decide to do better. Yeah. We're not there. We're not there. No. Okay. Uh, all right, so, good. That I am so glad that you shared that story. So speaking of foodstuffs, um, we have Boston cream pie is the next item on our list. 
and then bullet point one is okay but it's a cake which i gotta say is a thing i didn't know until we were prepping this episode and i was like "Ooh, maybe boston cream pie i should make one of those and i looked up a recipe and i was like hang on it's not a pie it's a cake it's a cake and then i i know i have this note down later but i was like have i been wrong my entire life that anything that's called a cream pie actually is a cake but that's not true like a coconut cream pie is a pie and a banana cream pie is a pie and a chocolate cream pie is a pie but a boston cream pie is a cake right so do you want me to tell you why that is i do yes i do okay. so in 1856 which is when a boston you have cream so pie much information <laughs> 1856 okay 1856 which was when a boston cream pie was developed at the parker house which is now the omni parker house in boston um they made this boston cream pie which is sort of like a custard pudding thing between layers of cake and then frosted with ganache chocolate ganache yeah but here's the thing in 1856 they didn't have cake plates they used pie plates for everything even when they were making cake. Huh. So it was called a pie because of the pan that they used. It wasn't until like, I don't know, like 30 or 40 years later did someone develop an actual cake pan that had straight sides. Huh. And But it was still called a Boston cream pie because it was specific to the Parker House dessert menu. Oh, interesting. And it, was, it will always be called a Boston cream pie because of that. Huh. And so, Wait, so does this mean that all cakes made in like the early 1800s were made in pie pans and were weird and angry? That is my understanding. Huh. Or at least Fascinating. this Boston cream pie was made with pie plates yeah. in, at the Parker House. Now, whether, I mean, it's kind of hard to believe that the, that, that cake pans never existed until the turn of the century, right? Like... I, I have to think that if we were to go back and look at some old desserts, they probably actually had straight sides. My guess is that this was sort of specific to the Parker House. It could be. They didn't have cake plates. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, it's hard to remember. I mean, remember, it's hard to think back as to what life was like then. Because there's an awful lot of things that would have been really hard to make in the 1800s. I can't even remember what life was like like in 19 in, in 2019 yeah no kidding <laughs> so like without wearing masks everywhere but yes at some point someone made cake plates or cake pans which are straight-sided versus the pie plate which is yeah angly angly um uh, but uh and and they and if certainly when you get a boston cream pie at the Wegmans like I, I saw them at Wegmans yesterday I almost bought one just because I knew we were talking um they are clearly using a cake pan oh yeah straight because now. the because the cake part is not angly yeah um but anyway that that is why it's called a Boston cream pie because it was well, probably like like the 1856 version of copyright <laughs> I like it. Uh, I did try to make a Boston cream pie when I found this. I was like, okay, here's a recipe. I can make this. And uh, man, did that not turn out. Everything ended up in the trash. 
and oh it was goodness. the filling. The oh. filling, um, I mean, I, I never make custards. I find it a pain in the ass to stir egg yolks regularly and have to temper things and pour stuff in. So I'm, I'm not good at it. And that obviously is like the thing that makes it a Boston cream pie. And it looked great. I mean, I was very careful and patient, so I didn't screw it up. And it looked great as I was putting it together and it coated the spoon and it looked perfect. And it just didn't thicken anymore in the fridge after I took it off the stove. So when I, I was like, maybe it'll be okay. And I tried to put it in between the cake layers and it was just like a sauce. It just, it didn't thicken. So, so, um, cheat code. Hmm. Jello instant pudding mix. Yeah. I see I always I think actually a Boston cream pie made with like a yellow box cake mix and jello instant pudding and like a can of chocolate frosting would be delicious. It is. And I just resist that kind of like making of food, but I really should have done that in this case. I mean, honestly, I don't think that tastes any different than if I bought a Boston cream pie at Wegmans where yeah. it's made from scratch. Maybe, I mean, maybe I'll do that. Just get the mixes and, and, and then it will be good and reliable and consistent. Well, and maybe when you're back up here at some point, we'll, we'll get one from a real bakery and then we'll make one from all these yeah. little boxes and then we'll try them. I think that's a great idea. And we'll go, <laughs> you know what? It doesn't taste any different. All right. It's a plan. We okay. are maybe coming up with the dogs at the end of August. Like okay. I have two on-campus things that are like 10 days apart. And I was like, we could just go up like with the dogs and like eat outside. And like, I also have to go to the dentist and whatever. And so we may be up and then we could execute this plan next okay. month. All right. We'll see what happens. All right. Sounds good. Um, I also noted Mona Lisa attack was maybe cream pie actually. So we covered this in a previous episode in our Just Dessert segment that someone threw a cake at the Mona Lisa. And there was a lot of speculation over what kind of cake. And you had given us a recipe. But looking at it, it looks like it could have been a Boston cream pie, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I don't know like that they have those in Paris. an actual Boston cream pie? Like it looked like, like it had that custard layer in the middle. I don't know that it had the chocolate ganache on it. But it looked kind of similar. It could have been like a Napoleon yeah, I'm, I I put a link in here that, let me pull up. So it says, um, yeah, cream, no, this is not good radio. Oh, it's got ice cream recipe. That's interesting. They call it a cream pie. So suspect arrested after Mona Lisa unfold with cream pie. This maybe is a Google Translate. Yeah, that's a weird. <laughs> the cake left a conspicuous creamy white stain. That's all it says. But, but they huh. say cream pie in the headline. Oh, but then the category is ice cream. So we're just going to ignore this website. Okay. All right. Um, but that does lead us to just desserts. Um, oh, yeah. Let's, let's talk about that one. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, this is a 2021 story. Man with chocolate pie arrested after chase. A deputy in Ozark County tracked down a man who not only had several warrants, but a sweet tooth as well. Authorities... <laughs> pulled noel cole over the weekend hey is this Wait, one of your relatives noel cole noel how do you say it for a guy n-o-e-l either way i mean All it right. depends cole was able to get away from the deputy but when cole was arrested investigators say he was holding a chocolate cream pie in his hand cole had many felony warrants out of douglas county Oh, that's that's it. That's the entire story. 
He just, they arrested him and he had a chocolate cream pie in his hand. That, that, that article reads like, I'm like <laughs> listening to you because I don't always read ahead because I like yeah. to react. And I'm thinking like, I, I can totally envision like they catch up with him and all of a sudden he's like a cartoon character <laughs> and he's got a pie as if that is going to somehow <laughs> fix all these warrants against him. But wait, I have a pie, deputies. And deputies be like, oh, okay. <laughs> Here, let, let's sit down and eat that and we'll talk through maybe dropping a few of those. So that's it. I thought there was more of a story there, but there's nothing below that adds. It's just, oh, just okay. a police blotter. But I mean, it's pretty interesting. So even though it's not a Boston cream pie, it was a chocolate cream pie. We're kind of doing a cream pie theme here. Right. And the recipe this week. Yeah. We actually had, we, I think I'd, I whipped up two recipes for this one. One having to do with molasses. Oh, yeah. And one having to do with chocolate cream pie. Nice. And so we could do a, a, um, a poll on which recipe Ooh. people would like. Yeah. So the two recipes are, um, they both come from my side of the podcast. Uh, my sister makes the best chocolate cream pie in the history mm -hmm. of chocolate cream pies. And so I typed up her recipe. Um, and um, But for the molasses recipe is my um, gingerbread cookie recipe. Nice. Which is famous. So um, when we drop the episode, I'll put a poll up and people like can it. pick. And then whichever one wins, I'll post that recipe and we'll save the other recipe because you know we will have. Of course. <laughs> of course. Another just dessert segment that will apply. That's awesome. I like this. It's interactive. Okay. Me too. I like that too. Okay, good. Okay. Listener mailbag. Yeah. We got a and, good a bunch of good questions. Oh yes. I really I really love that people are definitely putting some um some thought into the questions. Yeah. And it's my turn to ask Jen um a um a, a good question. And I hadn't picked one all that was really good yet. Um and but I think that um, I'm going to go with what is the best and worst thing about what you do? And I'm, th I'm, I'm assuming that's what we do for work. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the best thing is I get to do whatever I want. Like I literally get paid to do whatever I think is interesting as, and whenever I want to, like as long as I think good thoughts about it. I can do whatever I want. Like, that's pretty awesome. If I'm like, you know what I really like is this video game. I'm just going to play this video game for six months and then say something smart about it. They're going to be like, that sounds awesome. And then I can do that if I want to. Or if I'm like, I really am going to post a bunch of pictures of dogs online and see what happens. They're like, that sounds great. Like, go for it. So like, nobody's going to tell me no, as long as I can say smart things about what I'm doing. Like that's, I can't think of a better job than that. Uh, the worst thing about my job, I'm going to give it a tie right now because I've been on sabbatical this last year. And um, so I think everybody knows I'm a professor. So I this last year I've been on sabbatical. And so this was the first year everybody was back on campus since COVID and I missed it, which has been great. So I'm starting back up in the fall and uh, the administration on campus really wants the faculty all back on 
on campus and they're insisting that like our meetings, including one of the ones that I'm in charge of chairing, have to be in person. What we have found since the spring of 2020 is that those meetings are actually much more efficient and secure and they run better. Everything's better when we do them on Zoom because it's a very large group and it's easier to manage the conversation and it's just everybody likes it better aside from the fact that COVID's going around and we're not allowed to do that. So that's really making me angry now. But I would say COVID stuff aside, um, I had, you know, I went to the University of Chicago, which is a notoriously um, unkind place, maybe? That's not quite right. But like, they don't care about your feelings. And uh, <laughs> you just got to suck it up, right? It's not gentle, I guess. Not unkind, but uh, ungentle place. And there are some times that I could have used some gentleness and understanding when I was there and I didn't get it. And obviously everything turned out fine. Um, but I, there was one professor that I really remember my, I think it was my last quarter, like I was getting ready to graduate and, um, I was double, I changed my major very late and I was trying to finish my economics degree, which is what I had been majoring in and also finish my computer science degree. And I thought they were going to count a CS class as an elective in economics and they didn't. And so halfway through the term, our terms were 12 weeks and literally week six, I found out that they weren't going to count this thing and I wouldn't graduate with my economics degree unless I could get into a class. But the semester had been, or the quarter had been going, we were halfway through, like midterms had happened. And I went around and found every economics class that I could at all fit in my schedule. And I was like, I know that this is dumb. And I promise I will do everything to make up what I have missed, but is there any way you will let me into your class? And uh, one professor said yes, and his class was called the economics of vice. So it was about like the economics of like dealing drugs and prostitution Ooh. and pornography. Uh, yeah, all these things that are considered vices. And it, I mean, it was very weird for Chicago, like talking about like sex work is work and like, let's understand the lives of sex workers and the economics of this and the economics of like street drug dealing and like, why do people do this? It was such an amazing class and he was such an amazing professor and I did really well in it be and I worked my butt off, but he was like, okay, like week six, come on in, f catch up on what you missed up on. And he's why I ended up getting my degree. And I'm you know, that was like 1999, right? I'm still so grateful for that, that I try to be that professor for my students. Um, but it means that like not all students are grateful like I was grateful. And so I get some of them trying to take advantage of me or I had one, and I'm not allowed to talk about specific details, but I have one student who um, wasn't able to get her work done during a semester um, because everybody has a lot of shit going on lately. And so I gave her this administrative thing that gave her time after the semester to do the work and they have drop dead deadlines in the university and she blew past that deadline and that means she would fail. And I pulled a bunch of strings to get that done and let her get her work in so she could graduate with her degree. And, uh, she got all in and then was really mad. I didn't give her an A plus because I don't give A pluses to graduate students. And also her work was like nine months late. And I was like, I don't give A pluses. And she was very mad and, and said a bunch of other things that I did wrong. And that kind of thing sucks when I'm like, man, I went out of my way and broke rules to help you out like five or six different times. And now you're yelling at me because like you want an A plus. That sucks. That's the worst thing. I think 
it comes down to a lot of students don't recognize that faculty are actual human beings. We're just kind of like forces in a machine that deal with their lives and they treat us like that sometimes. And that's really unpleasant when a lot of us put a lot of like general work and especially emotional energy into trying to help them be successful. I think I would have a hard time with that. Having been a secretary to a fac to faculty members yeah. um, when I worked at Brown, um, we had students try to come in and game the faculty member all the time. Yeah. And and I, you know, as a I was totally a gatekeeper for this probably one of the most popular faculty members um, at Brown in the humanities. And um, he had like six TAs and they all would come back in and report to me. And I did all their book ordering and stuff. So I knew exactly what was happening in their classrooms. And so when they came in and were just like, well, I was in section and I could like look up and see they were never in section. <laughs> and I was like, actually, you weren't in, you know, that TA section. Oh, no, I meant the other TA. I'm like, you weren't in that section either. <laughs> like, no, you're not getting in to see the professor to ask for an A when the only classes you ever went to were his lectures and you never did the section work. Can I tell you my favorite story? And it's funny because I told my dad this story and his response was like, well, you got to give the cre kid credit for having balls. So I taught this class, this undergrad class, and, uh, and it was time for the midterm. And there were a few students, and this happens all the time, who just had never come. They had never turned anything in. And uh, and so I always email, I mean, every semester this happens, and I emailed and I was like, hey, you guys, just so you know, uh, the midterm is this week. I noticed that you haven't been doing the work for the class. Like, the drop deadline has passed. If you want to pass this course, like, I will work with you to make that happen, but uh, you're going to have to take the midterm. If you're still actually interested in attending, let me know and we'll come up with a schedule so you can pass the class. And this one student was like, oh my God, yeah, like things have, you know, I've had so much going on. Um, I would really love this opportunity. And I was like, great, you know, let me know what work you've done. If you've done anything, have you read anything? Have you, you know, done any of the work? And I'll give you a plan so you can be prepared and we'll come up with a modified schedule. And I don't hear anything from him, which is not unusual. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason they haven't made it to class. Final, same thing. So I emailed this guy and I was like, you know, you know, I didn't hear back from you. The midterm, the final is this week. Um, I don't want to fail you. I don't really see what option there is now. But listen, if you show up and pass the final, here's what it's going to be about. Um, I will come up with a plan so you can make up the work that you missed and get a C and pass the course. And he's like, oh, I would appreciate that so much. And I was like, okay, like, here's what you need to study. Like, do these readings. Like, here's a really focused thing for you to do so you can come in and take the final to show me that you've at least been trying. Because I think he was like, oh, you know, I've been doing it and I just haven't been able to come to class. I'm like, all right, do this. And of course, he doesn't show up for the final. And I'm like, hey, you didn't show up for the final. Uh, I'm going to have to submit an F if you want to talk to me about this. He, you know, send me an email. I'm free to meet anytime this week. Of course, I don't hear from him. And he fails the class. I mean, this happens, you know, there's a student or two like this every year. So that's in the spring. The next fall, like middle of the fall semester, I get an email from him and it's like, Dear Dr. Goldbeck, um, as I'm sure you remember, I was a student in your blah, blah, blah class. Um, 
and I got an A and for some reason the registrar has made a mistake and put an F on my transcript. I'm up for a very prestigious award and so I would appreciate it if you could reach out to the registrar and submit a correction so this F is not erroneously showing up as a on my transcript instead of the A that I very obviously earned in your class and I was like oh buddy. <laughs> here's all of our email exchanges. Like, you think I wouldn't remember this? And I would just be like, oh, dear registrar, Bobby said he got an A in my class. And then it turns out the prestigious award he was up for is that he had been kicked out of the university for not making academic progress. And he was applying to get back in and was hoping that I'd be like, actually, he got an A instead of this F. And instead I was like, oh, are you in trouble? So then I like had to call the undergrad office and be like, just, you know, like dude is trying to pull some stunts here. Um, and he made his life way worse but yeah that was the ballsiest thing anybody ever did it was like as you know I got an A in your class <laughs> you know I was I was that student but without the 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 balls <laughs> like I I went to college and I was on the debate team you had model UN I was on the debate team yeah um, and I was editor of school paper kind of thing and I was on student government like I did everything theater like I did everything but go to class <laughs> and you know like you have those dreams I know people in who are listening have those dreams where they're back in college and they forget where the class is that yeah. happened in real life <laughs> and it was before everything was online right because I'm I'm an old yeah and and I would have to call up and I would like disguise my voice and think as if anyone knew who I was because I never showed up to anything. And I'd be like, where's Professor Stone's class meeting today? And the secretary would be like, where it always meets. And I'm like, and that is because like I would I'd forget where class was. And I so I would like I go the first week of class and I blow it off to the midterm. I take the midterm. And then I blow it off to the final and I managed to like go through two years with that before like the real professors who were teaching like the higher level courses started to wise up. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I got kicked out and I got kicked out and, um, and you know, I, and I, I spent a semester at home. I went to community college, which was a great experience. Yeah. Um, everyone at community college wants to be there. Right, um, yeah. Which I think was a big part of my problem is like I went to like a very tier seven, you know, <laughs> state school where, you know, nobody really wanted to be there. They were just like there because their parents made them go to college. And, and, and I was not surrounded by brilliance. And so I found it other places. And um, I really loved community college. I should have just stayed and then gone to Wesleyan, which was what my mother wanted me to do. There was a special scholarship for people from my town who went to community college and then went to Wesleyan. And I was like, no, no, I want to go back to Providence. And I did. And I, you know, did the exact same thing all over again. Yeah. And eventually just dropped out for good. And, and I went back when after I worked at Brown, Brown sent me back to college to finish up. And um and but I was absolutely that student, but I never I never gamed a faculty member ever. I mean, I I had, you know, my own difficulties. I I obviously like went to 
a lot of classes, but I skipped out on sections for sure. Like there's a couple of classes that had sections and I never went to them. And even though I like did okay, like the, they didn't like that I didn't do that. But how satisfying would it be to send that email and have it work? To, I, it would be I like mean, the lottery. You have to think that that kid must have been able to accomplish something like that elsewhere in his life in order to think that that would work. Yeah. Like how many times has that young man been able to play that card? Yeah, for sure. You know, um, or, or that graduate student, like yeah. to get to be that, to get to be as old as they are and be able to, to, to try to manipulate someone like that. Like I can't even imagine doing that now. And I'm like, three times their age, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know, but, uh, but I, I, th I think that getting kicked out of school was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. Mm. You know, I, I, I worked yeah. and I realized that just going to school and getting a degree and not learning anything was not useful to me. And when I did go back, you know, that's when I started writing. Yeah. I, I think I, this is one of those, I had a, a sort of transformative moment on this where I was sort of like, oh my God, I can't believe all these people. And they're like, not going, they, they don't want to go to college. It's not that they're not going, like they just need to change their attitude about this, which I feel is very reflective of kind of the space I grew up in. That's like, oh, you don't want to, maybe you need to fix your attitude about it. And like very close to when I was graduating, I went out to coffee with this girl who had lived in my dorm the whole time I was there. And um, I think she had had parents who were faculty, which it turns out is a very common thing. Like, you know, academics breed more of themselves. I was definitely not that person. And uh, and she had kind of unprompted been like, yeah, you know, there's just a lot of people who really shouldn't go to college right out of high school. Like they're not interested and there's just better stuff that they could be doing and they should go back when they actually want to. And I was like, oh, that's weird. That's not at all the kind of attitude that I grew up with about anything, but it's so correct, right? And also community colleges, like, I, I mean, I've gone and done talks at like the community colleges around the DC area. They'll invite me in to give a talk. And the students there are way more impressive than a lot of the students that I've encountered, even at some of the very good universities, because they are all very excited for what they're doing and really interested in there because they want to be. I mean, it's a it's a pretty amazing environment that a lot of people would benefit if they're like, not sure, like go there and take a class every semester and like be making a little progress if you want to and work your job. And yeah, it's, I mean, people write them off and it's such a great option for so many people. Well, and in Virginia, the community college system is just so good. Yeah. You know, I mean, it really is, you know, a pathway to UVA or mm -hmm. William and Mary, you know, I mean, the, the state college system is already really great in Virginia as well. And if you do two years at the community college, you're pretty much guaranteed to get into, um, you know, the state university of your choice, and um, they make a place for you. And I think that's great. That's exactly what community college can be for people. And then it, yeah. it cuts the it cuts the cost in half. You know, oh, um, at least, yeah. And I have, and I, the the only universities that the only colleges that I have talked at in the thirteen years I have been here in Northern Virginia is Northern Virginia Community College, and I love it so much. Mm -hmm. 
they, they, the, the classrooms are so diverse and there's so many people and they ask such good questions. Yeah. And, um, and it, I, I just love it. I love it when I get asked to do talks at the community college level. And I always say I am a product of community college. Yeah. So good. You guys, you know, yay. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, there so, you go. So the other questions, we always give each other two questions. And this is a question that comes up a lot. But um, people are always interested in how we met. It's such a good question. And uh, yeah, so I had actually been on the hunt for a vintage dress. And you and I, people who have not met us in person, we are very close to the same size. I think you're maybe like an inch taller than me. Mm -hmm. um, but we're pretty close. And you had posted up on one of these like local marketplace things, um, exactly the size, a kind of vintage dress that I was looking for. And so I came down to pick it up and, you know, I mean, as everybody can tell, we just started talking and my five minute dress pickup lasted probably two hours. And, uh, yeah, I'm really, we I'm sorry about all that cat hair, by the way. You know, I knew to like just take it home without taking it out of the bag and put it in like several cycles of the wash on delicate, of course, so I didn't destroy it um, to get all the cat out. And it's been fine since then. Oh, good. I'm glad because I, yeah. I do know now how allergic you are. I know. I mean, anytime, I, anytime like I touch fabric that once had a cat by it, but that, you know, if you wash it enough, it's fine. I don't have that one down here in uh, Florida that's up at my Maryland house in the closet still. All right. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a nice time. We it, sat it outside. Was. We sat outside in my backyard and uh and talked about dresses and universities. Kinda yep. a lot like we talk about stuff now. Yep, dogs. Dogs. Uh, yep. It was awesome. Snacks. Yeah. Well, these are all important things in our life. This is why we get along so well. We care about the same things. The important things. All right, so we <laughs> so uh, I have a, a couple updates. We have currently 30 gens, yens, or gen adjacents in wow. our database already. Oh, I haven't looked. I saw that you had posted it. I hadn't looked at the results. Though. That's amazing. So um, I will remind people to sign up some more. I think, uh, I think our goal should be at least 50. <laughs> and then we'll start uh, figuring out who to have on to the podcast. That's great. Um, people are posting some really interesting things about themselves. Oh, good. This so is going to be so fun. To, we'll have to have a meeting offline to figure out who we're going to interview first. Yay. Um, and then we have um, two new segments. Okay. And one is called callbacks. Mm -hmm. And these are going to be, we won't, we won't do callbacks every time because honestly, it'll probably be only when we remember something. Yeah. <laughs> but I was thinking the other day how you were doing with your apron um, experiment utter failure so far. Uh, I got that apron that I was really excited about because I wanted something that was just going to be kind of light and easy to put on and the fabric of it has just been too stiff. Even even though I've washed it, like it doesn't hang right on me when I tie it around and it's it's much more annoying than what I have. So I'm still on the hunt. Okay. Well, so the good news is that I was at Trader Joe's the other day and I found the apron that I was talking about. They Yay. have a little bin of them. So I got you one. So Thank um, you. I made boozy cherries this past <gasps> weekend. And so when I put those in the mail to you, I will, and I made a big jar for you. 
um, oh, with a nice. with a big in a in a wide mouth jar so that you can like <laughs> use a ladle um, uh, or a shovel to get them. Yeah. Um, and I will send it to you. Uh, oh, this only, is exciting. The only color um, it came in though was red, and so do not let Ingo wash it with all your white stuff. Yeah, he does know. like to turn things pink. Right. Yeah. Um, Thank so the, you. The other little segment is called Little Joys or a Noise. You you tell me yours first. Okay, so I have a little joy that I've actually shared with you, but we'll share with everybody. And that is that for um, uh, mine and Ben's anniversary was about a month ago, and he got me this blow-up octopus light. It's like a floaty. It looks like a beach ball with legs that floats on my pool, and it has a... Um, a light inside it and it's solar powered and all night it glows in the pool that's you've sent and me pictures and it's amazing it's like a it's like a giant firefly in the pool or on, like on top of the water it's not it's not like under the water or anything and every time i get up to use the bathroom i look out the bathroom window and i can see it glowing it's like the only <laughs> thing i can see because it's dark and i can see it glowing and the green color is exactly the color of a firefly. And so it's it's like a gigantic green firefly sitting, floating in the pool. And I love it so much. And that is such a little joy. And it if I wake up from a bad dream and, and I see my floaty octopus, it, it, it makes me feel so much better and I can go back to bed. So that's my little joy to share. That is so nice. Um, mine, I guess, can be a preview of a forthcoming episode, which is um, for me and Ingo's anniversary, which was also a couple weeks ago. Um, we went out to Little Palm Island, which is where we got married. It's the resort 10 miles up the road. And um, when we're there, we were there for one whole day. And we were sitting at the pool bar for lunch. And, you know, so it's like just the two of us. And occasionally, like other people who are at the pool will come up and order drinks. So some guy came up and he's like, my wife wants a pina colada, but like extra icy. And so the lady's like, okay. So she made a pina colada and put in like extra ice. And so that means the volume of pina colada was bigger than the glass. And so she poured the extra into a glass and she's like, here you go. You want some extra pina colada? There was some extra. And I was like, great. A sidecar. I got a sidecar of pina colada. And like, I'm sure I have had a pina colada before, but I... I can't remember when it may, I may have never had one with alcohol in it. Maybe once in my past, like I have no real memory of it. And she gave me this and it was so good. And so I had a, I had like an actual one. I was like, make me one of my own now that I have finished the sidecar. Um, but I've started making them at home sometimes with coconut rum, but like you don't really need it, right? Like good pina colada doesn't taste too boozy. You can just make it with like frozen pineapple chunks and cream of coconut and a little coconut milk and lime juice to make it a little tart. And uh, I've been making them and it's like the heat index outside is like 105 degrees now for like the next two months. So it's really, you can't really be out there during the day, but they're so tropical and refreshing. And like we, I just cut up a pineapple that we grew in our yard and it was so good. I know it was so exciting. I harvested a pineapple. Um, so these pina coladas, virgin or otherwise have just been like bringing me a lot of joy. I guess I'm just having smoothies, which is a very normal thing, but they're delicious. And it it's a thing where I'm like, oh, like it has been a tough day. And I'm like, I could put some cream of coconut and pineapple in my blender with some ice. And, and then I'm happy and it's delicious. Well, and if you're using coconut too, doesn't that have natural electrolytes in it? It does. So 
if you're, you know, even if you're not going out for a 10 mile run, but you're just sweating, you're replacing your electrolytes. And so it's really an energy drink. And like, I am getting a full serving of fruit in every one of those. So it's pretty damn healthy, I think. Oh, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan of smoothies. And um, if I could figure, I should probably use coconut water in my smoothie. So I get some electrolytes too, because I definitely have trouble with the heat. It's been very Mm -hmm. hot up here. Um, But that sounds terrific. I cannot believe you did not send me a picture of you growing a pineapple. I, I kind of can't either. I'm going to have to see if we've got some I'm sure Ingo has some of it in like the mini stage when it was like tennis ball sized. It it still wasn't all that big, but I'll I'll find it. They're cool. They grow on the ground, right? Yeah, it's like a little I spiky know, plant. I, I know so much about pineapples. <laughs> I mean, I was blown away. And then you can take, you cut the green top off and then you just peel a couple bottom leaves on it. You can just stick it in the ground and then it grows a new pineapple plant and will grow you a new pineapple. So if you, if you ever buy a pineapple at the store, just pull the butt like cut the top off pull off the bottom leaves you'll see little nubs stick it in a glass of water for a week and you'll see the roots come out and you can just plant it and it's like a great house plant too and i wonder if i could put it in the greenhouse because they like it hot i had one in fact ingo just brought our maryland pineapple plants down here to start living in the ground um but i actually had grown some from seeds which is like a nine month process um but they lived I have garden windows in my kitchen like the windows that stick out mm-hmm. in, outside the house that's where they lived and they were really happy in there so that's kind of greenhousey I guess it's heated you have the heat yeah. of the house but yeah one of my favorite things to do when we go to Hawaii is go to the Dole Plantation oh, that would be which amazing. is problematic because plantation but pineapples yeah I love driving through and seeing all the pineapples and then on their facility they have um like a, t- a pineapple test garden and so you can see all the different pineapples and so some Ooh. of them are like different shapes and sizes and they talk a little bit about what makes them different and um and we go every single year just That's in case there's like a new awesome. pineapple and there are some pineapples that never leave the island that wow. they actually don't export at all um and you get at the farmer's market they have these they're like they're just round they look almost like melons and um, I want to say they're called banana pineapples. Is that right? I think. They're, and they're expensive. They're about $8 a piece. And they're not very big. They're about the size of a very small cantaloupe. Here we go. Yeah. This big. They are so good. Oh, man. This sounds I awesome. Mean, yeah. So, um, and I can't smuggle them home either because they have right. beagles in the airport that are like... <laughs> Um, and, and you, and you can't really get them here. I mean, you might be able to get them in California maybe, but Mm. I never see them here, but they are just so good. Ben and I, you know, people say it's so expensive in Hawaii and we should probably do a whole episode on Hawaii because I've never been, um, but, um, it is expensive, but you can eat so cheap by just going to the farmer's market. Oh yeah. You know, just supporting all of the local farmers. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we usually are there for a week for one of his work conferences, and then we stay an additional week at a condo uh, on the North Shore, and we buy all of our food, with the exception of Coca-Colas, um, <laughs> at the farmer's market, and uh, and then we just, like, eat eggs and sandwiches and 
you know, small foods. That sounds you know, awesome. Fresh stuff, pineapple, a lot of fruit. Yeah. So that's amazing. We can talk about it in our pina colada episode. That's that'll be a good like pina colada slash Hawaii episode. Yeah. That which is forthcoming. We have a outline initial agenda for that. Yes. In our file. And then actually, you know, we have this Google Doc where we where we come up with ideas and then we flesh them out. And so if there's something that people think that we need to make a topic. So yes. you said we had we had our hot dog topic. We've had our Boston topic. What was our well, our first topic was kind of all over the place, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was a little more scattered. Um, and then our our we had our Mona Lisa art topic. Yeah, which was kind of a lot about dessert. But we're starting to really hone in that every episode will have a different topic and everything will revolve around the topic. So if there's a, a topic you would like us to discuss, you should throw it in our menchies in the social media and if it's interesting we will look into it yep totally okay all right that concludes this week's agenda oh, we this still don't have the agenda. sign off though nope i'll put It'll that on my to-do list <laughs> anyway thanks for listening to us see you next week and a half bye bye, bye.